Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 118 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. It's been an eventful couple weeks since we last recorded, eh, Doug? Yeah, I mean, the offseason is in full flight. Uh, the draft has passed us. Obviously, we're through the first few days of free agency. Uh, lots to talk about on this episode. It all kind of happened very quickly, and now it's uh, the calm after the storm. There's still a lot of big names out there, and we're going to get into what the Canucks have done, what's happened around the rest of the league. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the draft, of course, this episode as well, because really, as it stands overall, and I know that Canucks fans are very divided on a lot of things out there, but at this moment in time, it's really hard to say that the Canucks team isn't better than it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I think on paper, they're definitely a better team. I think the big issue with this team, and it's been the issue and a point of criticism for quite a while, is the decor, uh, especially on the right side. Um, I I think that's where most fans that are still thinking this team isn't good enough, that's their biggest point of criticism is the right side D. Yeah, we're gonna we'll get into the D, the cap, uh, all all the good stuff that everyone out there loves to argue about. We're gonna uh, discuss um, what's going on in your neck of the wood, Dugs. Before we get into all the Canucks stuff, uh, yeah, not much. I had a couple of friends come in. Uh, or sorry, last week I went to Kelowna to visit a couple of friends. Uh, picked up a kitten as well, which was nice. Uh, and then yeah, you know, for the most part, just keeping a low profile. Uh, Pete, uh, I noticed it looks like you have a new tattoo. Is that like a bear or a wolf on your chest? That's not that new, but uh, thanks for noticing. But no, that's uh, it's a wolf right there. Nice. Um, yes, I got that or, or, uh, many months ago, but I don't get to wear a lot of tank tops, even though uh, apparently it's summer out here. It sure doesn't feel like it. No, uh, it's funny. Pete and I usually before like our pre-production notes, we always try to tell her, tell each other, let's not talk about the weather in our intro. And yet yeah. every time we're like a couple old men yelling at the clouds, you know, we still talk about the weather. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's almost worse when it's like this, when it's still warm and humid out, but it's like wet and rainy. It's yeah, it's the worst. Weird, weird times going on here. Um, yeah, things over here, kind of same old, same old. Getting to go to some gigs uh, here and there, which has been a lot of fun and lots of bike riding um, and just trying to enjoy what is summer. Got a camping trip coming up this week, going to Hornby. So uh, nice. very much looking forward to that. Haven't been over to Hornby in a long time. Yeah, I, uh, I went to my first concert since, you know, uh, everything's been going on with this pandemic. I went and saw Fleet Foxes at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, which was great. Uh, my only criticism of it, and again, the show was amazing. Like, the band was incredible. But the crowd, the crowd was awful. Like, it was just, it was it was unbelievable. So, like, Robin Pecknold, who's the lead singer of the band, he's, like, super nice, super polite. And so, like, people just kept yelling out. And then he'd be like, what? And then people would be like, what's your favorite apple? You know, and then he'd just be like, uh, Granny Smith. And then people were like, tell us a joke. And then he, you know, it was just like throughout the entire concert. And, you know, there was one point where someone asked him, you know, what his process is for songwriting. I'm like, is this a Robin Pecknold Q&A or like, are we here to see a concert? And he did break down, you know, sort of what his thought process was, you know, to writing songs, which was very interesting. But, and again, it was good for the first couple, but then it was like every time in between songs, he'd be standing there tuning his guitar and there'd be a little bit of a lull and some idiot would yell out, What's your favorite drink on the road? It's like, oh my God, guys. It's like, geez. I remember my that's first weird. concert that, too. That's totally disruptive, man. That's that's weird. I was at uh, Friday. I was at the Karangbin show out at the, the P&E, which was awesome. Uh, that was the day when all the cell phones were down as well. So even though I knew a lot of people there, I didn't get to see everyone because uh, <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't find everyone. But Good, it really slow start to that show, but it became really epic. Uh, that was a good one, and I was also at the uh, flight facilities show at the Commodore uh, a couple weeks ago too. So definitely good having some music around. I think I'm gonna go pop by Folk Fest this afternoon and see what's going on over there. So it's nice having music back, uh, and yeah, that Krangbin show for anyone out there who went, that was uh, that was sick. It was one of those shows that starts slow and just builds and builds, and uh, was pretty epic. Yeah, I, I I wish I could have gone to that show. Uh, didn't get tickets in time, but uh, I've got a couple of shows coming up too. I'm really excited for. 
I just hope the crowd for those shows don't act like an ass like they did at the Fleet Foxes show. And Queenie's a, is a weird venue for that as well. Um, on the music front, uh, you edited the last episode. Do you want to tell us about the song that you used? Yeah, so, you know, credit to you. Uh, I had actually never heard of this artist until you had used one of his songs previously in one of the outro tracks. Uh, the song is called Hey Now by Romare. Uh, it's got an amazing Nina Simone sample in it and uh, a really cool kind of like bluesy guitar riff at the end. And it, it's funny, you know, you and I have talked about this when we're trying to like pick the song for the outro, whoever, which, whatever one of us is editing the episode. Sometimes the outro goes a little bit longer. So you have like a backlog of all these songs you really want to use for the outro and you just can't because we ended up rambling for a little bit longer than we expected. But the last episode outro was pretty small pretty tight and the window was just perfect to fit that song in and yeah man i really like that song and i've actually been going through romero's or romero's discography and uh yeah he's got a lot of really cool kind of instrumental hip-hop sample based stuff that i really enjoy yeah french ninja ninja tunes artist and ninja tunes generally anything on that label i, I usually uh, quite like. Also, we had the meetup going on last week, which was great. We did that down at the American. We had a good crew come out for it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, man. It was always, it's always good to, you know, put some faces to some of the accounts on Twitter. And obviously, you and I have met a couple of the people that had come out in the past. But uh, yeah, thanks for everyone who came out. And, you know, it's kind of like our unofficial second annual draft party. Uh, we did one the year before. Unfortunately, you were camping then, Pete. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to make this more of a speakeasy tradition, and hopefully we can get even more people out next year. And we'll do some games throughout the year, I think, as well. We'll get some games going, um, which uh, which should be fun. It's good to have a, a spot that serves fried chicken and let us uh, lets us meet up and, and chat Canucks. So thanks, everyone, who came out. That was, uh, that was a good time, and uh, we're definitely going to talk about what happened on day one and day two of the draft uh first off though you can follow us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas and the podcast is at canuck speak you can give me a follow on twitter at doug then and check out the canuck speakeasy outro playlist on spotify like we were just talking about earlier at the end of every episode we add a funky jam during the outro segment and pete you're editing this episode so i look forward to what you're adding to the playlist by the end of this one yeah, yeah. Um, also, today is uh, July 17th, Oliver Ekman Larson's birthday. Happy birthday, OEL. Also, Louis Erickson's birthday. So uh, I just wanted to point that out. Tale of a couple of Swedes with uh, large cap hit legacies with the Vancouver Canucks. And we're traded for one another, essentially. Yeah, hey, well, part of certainly part of the, that deal when I was away camping and I came back and my phone finally started getting reception again and everything's bleeping off about uh about that trade but yeah both of their birthdays today oel happy birthday all right doug let's start with the draft kind of makes sense we got the draft uh six days before the free agency started canucks picking 15th we were all getting pretty excited as a couple names on the board that we really liked were still there canucks end up with jonathan lakaramaki which Personally, um, I, I did not have any scenario where I thought he was still going to be there at 15. He wasn't mentioned in by either of us as a player that the Canucks would be looking at at 15. Uh, so for him to end up there, I think that's a big win for the Canucks. Yeah, I tend to agree. Like I, I, I think going by the position he plays, I think the scouting staff and the management group for the Canucks definitely went with the best player available on their board obviously everyone's got their own boards but uh you know adding another winger to the forward base and to the prospect group isn't probably what the scouting or the management group were wanting heading into this draft you know i'm sure finding a center or even another defensive prospect would have probably been more ideal there was even rumors that the canucks were talking to a few teams about trading back but then when lakaramaki was available to them at 15 uh, they didn't want to trade back. So he's a goal scorer. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have talked and, you know, have a lot more in-depth analysis on him as a player. Um, but he's a goal scorer. Uh, he's a guy who potentially could be playing on PD's wing in a couple of years here. And, you know, he's a guy that could be a perennial 30 goal scorer. He, I'm interested to see 
how um, Jurgarden does. I know they were relegated this year, unfortunately, down to the Elsvenskin, but hopefully he can rip it up in the Elsvenskin League, uh, much like Elias Pettersson did uh, his draft post-draft year. And yeah, I think it's great value. I think he's a guy that most people had, you know, in the 8 to 12 range, and he fell to the Canucks at 15. Also, leading scorer at the under-18s this year, 15 points in six games, uh, five goals, 10 helpers, and uh, he's often been said as having the best shot in this draft class. And, you know, Canucks, obviously, long history of Swedes, Swedish GM as well, and we saw that this year with our first two picks with LeCaramacchi and PD 2.0, or as I like to call him right now, Repeaty. I, I, I like the Repeaty name. I think I think we should try and get that one to stick. I like repeaty. I think that's good as well. And yeah, I mean, I think uh, when the Canucks selected uh, Elias Pettersson or repeaty in the third round, a lot of people were kind of joking and laughing about it and thought it was kind of funny. Uh, it seems to be roughly the range where he should have been drafted. He's a left shot defenseman, a big physical defenseman. Uh, you know, he's not going to be a big point producer in the NHL level, but he could be a big physical shutdown type of guy. Um, and I know... Uh, Chris Faber, uh, during the development camp there, he actually said he was very impressed with him. Uh, I know he ended up getting injured for a couple of days during the development camp and missed, I think, day two and day three. But he did participate in the scrimmage, and I believe he actually scored a goal. But yeah, he's a big physical defenseman, and you know he's probably you know three, four years away from actually cracking this lineup if he actually can crack the lineup. But it seems like you know he's a risk worth taking. It's uh, it's it was a bit of a surprise again uh, that the Canucks did grab him. Uh, in my opinion, or just said he was even still there because some people had him mid second round. Um, I, I think it's a, a good pick, and again, he has some offensive upside. He had ten points in six playoff games, um, so he he does have some offense in his game. He was also uh, part of that under eight team with Jonathan Lekaramaki, uh at the under eighteens. Um, I, I think it's also just a fun story, right? Two Elias Pettersons, two Greg Adams. Like, uh, this is something that the team has had happen before. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, the memes, obviously, you know, everyone was doing the Spider-Man meme. And uh, I, 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 Elias Pettersson made a comment, I believe it was on Instagram, but made a, a kind of funny comment after he had been drafted as well. So I think everyone's kind of having fun with it. And interesting as well. Jonathan Lakaramaki and Elias Pettersson's favorite player is Petey. Um, so both yeah. of them said that their favorite player was Petey, which is pretty cool because Petey's still a really young guy. And, you know, that's got to be kind of humbling that a guy who's only, you know, a few years younger than you, you're their favorite player and you're the guy they look up to. Yeah, six-year difference, really, five or five to six-year difference between those guys, and that's the, the guy that you look up to. I mean, Petey does have a good impact back in Sweden. He is obviously a very popular player, and I think the older Petey is going to have a, a big breakout year if he continues to play like he did in the second half. Um, the rest of the draft, I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about these guys. Obviously, I've done some homework. Damon Gardner uh, in the fourth round, Ty Young in the fifth, Jackson Dorrington in the sixth, and Kirill Kudrytsev in the seventh. Again, Russian names, I probably screw that up. Um, do you have any thoughts on any of those? I know Ty Young uh, plays out here in the dub. Uh, he's obviously, that's an Ian Clark pick. Um, young goalie, uh, again, one of the younger guys in the draft. So there's obviously something there that Ian Clark likes. Uh, Kirill Kudratsev could be, again, uh, uh, someone who performs better than what we thought, especially as a seventh round pick uh, to get him where he did. Seems like a, a pretty good deal. Um, I really don't know anything about Dorrington. I don't know a lot about Gardner. Um, I know he's a big kid who's played in the USHL, though. So uh, do you have any thoughts about any of the other picks the Canucks had? Uh, I know like the, the Russian kid they drafted seems like a guy that a lot of scouts had higher. Um, but obviously, with everything that's going on in Russia at the moment, that could be a reason why he fell as far as he did. Um, yeah, I mean, I know Ty Smith was the backup for the Prince George Cougars. Um, so people thought it was kind of funny that the Canucks selected a backup, but I, I believe, I forget who the starter is. Uh, he's a drafted prospect. He's fairly highly touted. He actually got injured this year 
And I believe Ty Smith actually like won a playoff game in the Ty Ty Young. Ty, Ty Young, pardon me. I keep saying Ty Smith. Yeah. He was the kid that obviously yeah. got drafted or traded uh, by Jersey yesterday. I Ty Young uh, won a playoff game. Maybe I believe against the Kamloops Blazers. I know he didn't have great stats overall, but he did end up winning a game against that high-powered Kamloops Blazers team. I know some of the criticism coming out of the draft, and I understand why is why didn't the Canucks take a shot on a right-shot defenseman? There must have been some right-shot defenseman available that they could have picked in one of those later rounds, and they instead go with three left-shot defensemen, uh, a center, a goalie, and another left-winger. Well, and again, this just wasn't a great year for right D, and I think there's a lot of thought with best player available. Um, it, it just did seem when they, wherever the Canucks were out, there wasn't really a right D on the radar. But it is a bit surprising in, in that sense that they, they didn't. Uh, they, you know, they only took the one center, which is something I thought they'd also be looking at. So, you know, you come out of there with a couple of left D, a goalie, a center, and a right wing. I was like, uh, that wasn't how I was going to see it unfold. Also disappointing, uh, they couldn't get a second-round pick. They really couldn't make any trades. We haven't seen a Canucks trade yet. And I really thought that something was going to happen and for a while there it sounded like something was very close with the islanders but we may never get the full story on that yeah i mean that that whole situation is again it, you know i feel like you can do a netflix documentary investigative documentary series on what had happened uh literally minutes before the draft happened uh elliot friedman reported that the canucks and islanders seem to have a deal in place or that they're talking and things are looking to progress names were never mentioned however there is speculation that maybe the Islanders, uh, I saw people speculate that maybe Tyler Myers was actually the player that they were talking about in trade. Uh, then, you know, there was talk that the Canucks denied the trade. Uh, obviously, Montreal made the trade and uh, traded Romanoff uh, to the Islanders for the 13th overall pick. The Canucks denied that they would even had negotiations with the Islanders. Lou Lamorello was asked and he said, ask the Canucks what happened. So obviously that sent every Canuck fan into kind of a, a whirlwind of speculation. What's going on? What happened? Uh, there were reports that Lou canceled the trade because the trade leaked. Uh, there were reports that the Canucks wouldn't let the Islanders talk to JT Miller's agent about an extension. So there's all this speculation. At the end of the day, the trade didn't happen. Uh, you know, this is also circle back season, right? This could be, you know, if the Islanders lose out on a guy like Kadri, they could circle back on a JT Miller. Um, but I agree with you, Pete. I am a little bit surprised that the Canucks haven't been able to move some salary out. Uh, you know, there's talk and speculation, you know, that a guy like Tyler Myers does have some value out there. Um, you know, could you not trade him for maybe a second round pick uh this is one of the issues i had with the previous regime is the lack of acquiring more picks it just i i don't get it you know it was it was an issue with the benning regime outside of the first year when benning came in and obviously he had traded kessler and got us you know an additional first round pick uh they didn't really acquire a lot of picks and if they did acquire picks they were usually fourth fifth maybe even sixth round picks and we're seeing and again it's only the first it's only the first draft with this new regime and i think they're still trying to you know figure out the landscape and whatnot but i was a little shocked i thought that the canucks could even have moved up a couple of times you know there was lots of speculation about um Dpiet Michael Michael DiPietro, you know being traded uh because it doesn't look like he's gonna have a job with Abbotsford next year. So does he end up in the ECHL? So yeah, I was, I was a little stunned that the Canucks didn't make a trade at the draft for either to move up or to acquire an additional pick. I'm, I'm personally of the belief that uh, I don't think it was a Miller trade necessarily. Uh, the Islanders have a really weird structure up front with forwards and they got Matt Barzell, who's RFA at the end of this season, as well as Oliver Wallstrom. So they got to put a little bit of money aside, but they've got a really weird mishmash of forwards. And I, th I could see it more as it was a Tyler Myers deal because they, they ended up getting Romanoff. They were looking for a defenseman who could play the left side. So, uh, or, or play both sides, sorry. Uh, and uh, Romanoff can do a, a bit of that. I think though that Myers was, was of interest to them. I don't know what, they were building it around. I don't know if draft picks were in play, but uh, I, I'm i not so sure it was JT Miller personally. Yeah, I, I I've actually kind of think that as well. I, I do think that maybe uh, 
they could have been talking Tyler Myers and maybe I don't think the Canucks would have been able to trade Tyler Myers for the 13th overall pick. They probably would have had to have added something to that pick. But uh, yeah, I honestly believe that it probably had more to do with a Tyler Myers uh, than it would have uh, JT Miller. Still curious to see what trades happen here. Um, it's, it is really interesting watching this fan base and, there's a lot of patience, a lot of patience uh, from the fans. I mean, this regime took over back in December, so we're seven months in now. Uh, and you you hear management saying, no, this is going to take two or three years to kind of get us where we want. And there seems to all of a sudden now being a growing unrest uh, with Canucks fans. It feels like everyone's waiting for something big. I mean, the JT Miller factor is very divisive right now, but it is true. At the end of the day, the Canucks don't have to make a trade. It just it, it complicates things if JT Miller starts with the team without a, a deal because you're then looking at what happens if he get injured? What happens if the Canucks are in a playoff spot? That, you, that makes it really hard to trade JT Miller. Uh, so I, I understand the frustrations, but for me personally, it's like, you know, he was still our best player and coming in at a very reasonable cap hit. And the Canucks at this moment have a better forward group than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the biggest concern for Canucks fans, and myself included, is the fact that Miller could walk at the end of next year. Uh, and, you know, the Canucks would essentially get nothing for him. Uh, and obviously, you know, Rutherford's come out and said, you know, there isn't really any pressure up until the trade deadline of next year. But, you know, what if Miller was to get injured? You know, and you're unable to trade him at the deadline or he doesn't have any value because he's injured. Uh, So I think those are all the things that a lot of Canuck fans are a little bit impatient about. And I think also it's just like, sure, the team, the forward group is better, but they still need to figure out what to do on the back end. And, you know, JT Miller is a guy who uh, he was our best player last year, best forward. And you know, a trade for the assets, the right assets, could really propel this team moving forward. You know, uh, especially if Rutherford and Elvin don't think this team is really going to be willing and competing for a Stanley Cup for another two, three years, then, you know, why wouldn't you trade JT Miller and try to stock, restock the cupboard and then have those young players ready for that ascension in two, three years from now? I also want to give, you know, the management group some credit here that, the reason they probably haven't traded Miller yet is because they haven't gotten the deal they want. And I think that's a fair assessment. And to make the trade for the sake of making a trade isn't the right way of going about it. Well, that's it. It's the right assets, uh, like you said. And uh, Rutherford has been on record as saying if he's not signed by the trade deadline, they're going to have to shop him. So uh, there is that, and there's, you know, there's the chance does Miller have a drop season? I don't think so, seeing the way that JT Miller played. I think he's going to be a man possessed in the final year of his deal. The guy wants to get paid. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. This Miller conversation is really kind of hanging over the team right now. It's uh, obviously a very hot topic on Twitter, and it also, with the, the signings the Canucks made up front, and most noticeably with Ilya Mikheyev, it lends further speculation to what is happening. Um, what do you think of the McKayev deal in particular? That kind of came out of nowhere. I was not expecting the Canucks to be offering out an $18 million contract like that. No. So I was, that was the day actually Wednesday, I was driving back from Kelowna that day. Um, so listening to the radio and uh, I heard that the Canucks had signed Ilya Mikheyev to a four year deal. I was, I was surprised because there was, there was talk and rumors that the Canucks were interested in a player like Mikheyev. Um, but whether or not they had the cap flexibility or, you know, he would be priced out for what the Canucks could offer. But it sounds like he actually took less money to come to come to the Vancouver, even though a lot of people on Twitter are saying that they overpaid for him. But if you see what some of these guys have been getting in free agency, and it hasn't been as crazy as previous years, but, you know, guys are still getting pretty absurd money, in my opinion. I mean, Andrew Kopp, I think, got $6 million or something like that in Detroit, which I was surprised. Um, I actually think it's a pretty good deal. And, you know, one of the things that Rutherford said coming in is that, you know, he wants this team to be faster. And Mikheyev has got speed for days. There, People were showing that highlight of a puck race between him and McDavid, and he actually beat McDavid to the puck. 
Uh, he's actually a really good penalty killer. I know he had 21 goals, I believe, last year. Um, some people think that might have been an aberration and that, you know, he's not going to be a consistent 20-goal scorer, but we'll see. Uh, and then there was also talk, and again, I don't know if this would be considered tampering, but there was also talk that him and Kuzmenko had been talking. And, you know, he, Mikheyev, you know, back before free agency had opened had been and before Kuzmenko had made his uh, declaration to sign with the Canucks uh, that Mikheyev was kind of trying to push him towards signing with the Canucks as well so that's interesting um, I don't know if you caught that report Pete yeah no I saw I saw that one uh, as well it's it's very interesting that all of a sudden this team has three Russian forwards and uh, again that's that's a rarity generally lately it seems like for the Canucks to even have Russians and now all of a sudden Three of your top nine wingers are Russians, which is which is really interesting. Uh, none of them play centers, so I don't think you're going to get that all Russian line out there. But you could get a three of them on the power play together. It'll be interesting to see what this does with Pod Colson as well. Pod Colson, as we know, continued to develop, and you know something that I've talked about a lot is really Klimovich was the only guy it kind of in the area who was a Russian speaker. And now you got a couple more on the team. So again, a bit more of a runoff effect as well, probably at main camp with helping Danila Klimovich uh, as well. Um, I think, you know, yes, it's it's a, I, I think the money was a surprise. I don't think it's a bad deal. I've always liked McKay of the player. He's fast. He brings something different. And now he also gives you some flexibility. If you trade a guy like a Pearson or a Miller or someone, there's someone else in the system who is able to step up more. And that's been a problem with the Canucks down the stretch in the previous many years is having to bring in guys who aren't ready, don't have the depth. And right now the Canucks are looking a little more deep. Uh, Curtis Lazar also comes in on a very team-friendly deal. That one wasn't too big a surprise. Uh, but again, I think Curtis Lazar, that's a, an upgrade on your fourth center position. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, I was a big Yu-Ho Lamico fan. Um, you know, sad to see him go. I, I, I don't think he signed with anybody as of yet. Uh, but the Canucks did need a right shot center. Uh, they didn't have a right shot center. And Curtis Lazar is a guy who was a former first overall or first round pick, not first overall, but first round pick. And he's another guy who was highly touted. He's had to change his game. You know, he, in the last two, three years, he's kind of actually become a really solid shutdown defender. Um, he's a good penalty killer as well. And I actually think the deal they got him on three year, 1 million per is a steal. I think Lazar probably could have got more money elsewhere. And to get a guy like him who can shore up your fourth line for, you know, the next three years, I think I think it's a great move by the Canucks. Interesting, the Canucks are now technically over the salary cap as well. So that even yeah. fuels more speculation that maybe a forward's going to get moved. You know, you mentioned a Pearson, a Garland, uh, a JT Miller. You, you got to assume that something's got to give here. Well, the Canucks do still have the LTIR flexibility of Michael Furland as well. Uh, I personally don't think the Canucks want to go into LTIR, though, so that does also make me think that they uh, would be looking at some sort of move, some sort of cap-clearing move somewhere along the way. I, I figure they have to. Just because even like looking at Andre Kuzmenko's contract, I don't know the specifics of his bonuses, but I know there's about $850,000 in there he could max out on. And if you're in LTIR... That moves over to next year. And next year, as we already know, with Horvat and Miller and Kuzmenko and Shen and Burroughs all coming off the books as UFAs, you're going to have to have some uh, money put aside there and every little bit is going to help. So I don't think the Canucks want to rely necessarily. Yes, you do have Holtby and Vertanen come off uh, with their cap, dead cap space there uh, that year. So sure, if you shuffle 850000 in, it's less than the $2.4 million. But I, I do think that the Canucks are going to look at something. Uh, what it is, I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, personally, I, I like this forward core. I would not be opposed to them just rolling with that. I'd love to see what happens because, you know, every year I say top nine, top nine, right? And this is the best top nine the team's had in a long, long time. And, yes, we all know the blue line is in trouble. And if you're trading Tyler Myers, you, you better be getting some blue line help coming in there. Uh, there's... Being ideas floated around out there of trading Myers and then going out and signing one of the uh, right side vets that are still out there. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, Klingberg would be an interesting one. There was rumors that Klingberg was looking to maybe do what Taylor Hall did and just sign a one-year 
deal somewhere and kind of betting on himself. And then, you know, next year when the salary cap theoretically goes up again, uh, he then he can really cash in. I know Taylor Hall did that that one year in Buffalo. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you could move a Myers and bring in a guy like John Klingberg, I think that'd be great. Uh, whether or not they're going to be able to do that without having to add a sweetener to move Tyler Myers, uh, because you're probably going to have to take money back, right? If you're trying to just shed the full con, the full uh, dollar amount of My- Myers contract, you're going to have to add a sweetener. If you're going to try to get value for value back and take a you know money coming back, you're not going to have that flexibility. Also, going back to the salary cap, I do think that you have to be compliant before you can go into LTIR. I, I, I believe you can't actually yes. use your LTIR until like game one and you have to be cap compliant prior to that. Yes, that's that's true. That's uh, what, what that wasn't what I was saying. Though. I was just talking about the uh, the uh, rookie bonus structure. But yeah. yes, you have to submit your opening night roster, and then you can make uh, you can become cap compliant. So again, it's just less flexibility by by doing that, and yeah. uh, it's something that there's a lot of, uh, yes, you get the to go over the cap, but it's not easiest with uh, when you have rookie performance bonuses in there. And I mean, Pod Colson and Hoglander are still in entry-level deals too. So uh, I, I'm sure the team would rather clear some money out and have those count against the cap this year just so that there is less money going against it next year. Uh, Klingberg is obviously, he's the big one out there. He's 29. Uh, he made four and a quarter uh, last year as a, on his cap hit, at least. That was his AAV. Uh, he made a bit more money than that. But you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people say, "Oh, he's 29, JT Miller age. That's that's too old." Uh, it'd be interesting though if you were to trade Myers. Let's just you know hypothetically trade Myers for picks, and you're able to get Klingberg for like a couple years closer to four and a half or five million. I'm not saying that would happen, but it does free you up some money there, and then you're also uh, you're kind of getting a a, you know, a different style of player, but. He's younger than Tyler Myers is as well. Uh, just plays a different style. The other guy I always think is really interesting that's still staring out there, and I don't know what his future in the league is, is P.K. Subban. Uh, he's obviously had a monstrous cap hit that he's not going to get anywhere near. Guy only put up 22 points last year, but he did play in 77 games. He's still serviceable. And I wonder, he's 33 years old. I wonder if that's a guy that you could look at as a replacement coming in as well on a cheaper one-year deal. I have no idea what he's asking on the market. After that, the right side UFA is really, really thin out, though. There's there's not a lot left after that, and so you'd be looking more into trades again. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm not sure, again, where we could go with that, but uh, as usual, Noah Dobson and Sean Dursey and Ethan Bear are the, the three that jump out to me as well. Yeah, I think with P.K. Subban, I think there's a lot of speculation that, you know, he's going to have a career uh, post-hockey in television. And it almost seems like he's actually more committed or, you know, leaning towards that now. Does he try to play another couple of years and cash in uh, before going to TV? But, I mean, I think the guy can make almost as much money as he's going to make on a contract playing, uh, being in the studio. Also, hard to believe P.K.'s 33. Like, that that's it's, crazy it is it is crazy right uh i i i know it's uh i still think of him as just a kid but uh all of a sudden it's just like oh my goodness he's uh he's he's getting on he's not not that young guy anymore he's a he's a league vet but that's another guy uh i wonder with um some of the free agents out there that did move i mean johnny goodrow is the big one we haven't talked about johnny goodrow yet uh as a canucks fan getting goodrow out of the division Hey, that's a that's a good thing for us. Um, obviously, su- some surprise. I think a lot of people are surprised it was Columbus, uh, but Goudreau going to Columbus. Columbus finally gets a W in free agency. I mean, look, I, I understand why a lot of Calgary Flames fans are upset. You know, I think they would have been a lot more understanding if Goudreau would have gone to a team like New Jersey or Philly. Uh, you know, close to home. Uh, Philly, I think, wanted to sign Goudreau, but they couldn't move money to get to free up the cap space. So I think that's why Goudreau didn't end up in Philly, because I do think if Philly had the cap space, he would have signed there for sure. There's also rumors that he turned down more money from Jersey uh, and took less money to go to Columbus, which is interesting. I know a lot of people have been kind of bagging on Columbus, and I've never been to Columbus, Ohio, but... Everyone who's actually played there has said it's actually a really underrated city, and it's a really fun city to play sports in. Obviously, it's a huge college football town. And 
I really like the Columbus Blue Jackets and what they're doing. I really like uh, Yarmo Kikalainen. Uh, he's probably my, well, you know, obviously outside of Patrick Alvin, but he's probably my favorite GM in the league at the moment. Uh, you just like the, the you like the Euros. That's it. You just like the Euro GMs. Well, there you go. Um, but I actually, I mean, I think about this. Do you remember, what was it, like three or four years ago, Columbus had traded all their picks. I think they had like yeah. two picks had in two the draft. Two picks that draft, yeah. Yeah. And then within, what, a three, four-year span, they've got one of the deepest prospect pools in all of hockey. Like, to go from, like, pretty much pushing all of their chips in the middle and going all in, and then, you know, in two, three years, restocking the cupboard and having one of the deepest prospect pools in the entire NHL, losing, you know, big-name free agents like Panarin and Bobrovsky and getting nothing in return for those guys and still being able to have that turnaround. Like, people don't talk about that enough. And I actually think Columbus is probably one of the better-run franchises in all of hockey. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Goudreau wanted to go there. I will say this. I I do think Columbus needs a center. They don't really have that top-line center. Obviously, they traded uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois to Winnipeg for Patrick Laine, a winger. Um, They're a team who I speculated on this very podcast that I think could use a JT Miller. Um, I don't, you know, know if they'd be willing to trade any of their younger prospects, but I think they're a very well-run franchise. And I think all this kind of, you know, shit talk about Columbus is unwarranted, man. I I think they're going to be a contending team again a lot sooner than people think. I think Columbus would be a good trade partner for JT Miller as well. I think that's one that doesn't get looked at enough. They do need uh, a center, someone who could play center. Uh, Philly, yeah, they're over the cap uh, as well. They're one of six teams, including the Canucks, who are currently over the cap. So that would have been a real tough one to get them in there. Everyone I know who has been to Columbus has said it's a great city. I, uh, I'm i not surprised by that. From what I've seen pictures-wise, it, it looks pretty cool. But everyone I know who's been through Columbus has said good things. You also hear the reports that uh, it's got one of the best children's hospitals in the country and Johnny Goudreau's wife is a uh, is a children's hospital nurse so that also kind of makes a lot of sense if Columbus really appealed to them and uh, they are closer to home regardless but Calgary had uh, what sounds like a big massive deal it sounds like Goudreau left about 14 or 15 million dollars on the table to go to Columbus so this was clearly him wanting to get back to the states get closer to home and there's obviously a number of reasons for that and you know that's what free agency is they have every right to do that i'm glad he did it uh uh got out of calgary Uh, calgary obviously has taken a lot of vancouver free agents over the years uh, which uh, you know in cases like markstrom we knew that was going to happen but i think uh it's it is a good win for columbus to to finally get someone in that and, and it was a surprise everyone had new york and new jersey as as landing spots for him and i wonder again if that changes the jt miller landscape a couple of other teams had really interesting weeks or a couple of weeks i thought uh and and four of them in particular i want to mention to you and just kind of get your thoughts on we can we can chat about them uh the habs the hawks the sends and the pens all had really interesting couple of weeks there uh who are the biggest winners out of those teams i mean for me i i would have to say the habs and the sense i mean i did not see debrinket ending up in ottawa and they've ottawa i mean they signed claude Giroux, and i know Giroux's older obviously uh but kudos to the senators they're doing a really really good job right now uh you know kind of surrounding and insulating the young group that they have uh they've got a really good young forward group you know they got some uh promising young prospects on the back end they were able to get rid of matt murray's contract to toronto which again i don't know what dubis and toronto is thinking on that but you know we can discuss that if you want uh, and then the uh, Habs, former greyhound yeah yeah well him and uh gibson or not gibson jack campbell were former greyhounds as well so they mm-hmm. both played together apparently for the sioux saint no, no is it sioux saint marie greyhounds yeah yeah. Um, and then the other one is uh, the Canadians. I mean, obviously, they kind of shook the draft world up by uh, taking Slavkowski first overall. Uh, and then they traded up for the 13th overall pick uh, in the draft as well. I forget who they took there. Uh, the name escapes me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those are the two big winners. And then, you know, Pittsburgh, I, I think they have the pressure of having a player like Sidney Crosby still, you know, being as productive and 
healthy as he is, right? So, you know, there was lots of pressure. Obviously, they signed Latang, and Latang had a career year last year, but I honestly think, you know, that was an apparition. I, I, I can't see Latang living up to the contract that he just signed in Pittsburgh, given his injury history and how old he is. And then, obviously, they re-signed Malkin as well. There was a lot of talk that Malkin was going to market the day before free agency, and then all of a sudden, you know, at the witching hour, he re-signed in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's also made a couple of big trades uh, as of late, which is interesting. And then Chicago, clearly they're just tanking. Uh, You know, they're blowing it all up outside of moving a Patrick Kane, who I think is a guy that, you know, maybe come trade deadline, he could be moved. Uh, It doesn't sound like he's ready to move yet, but I could see him getting moved. And then trading a young, you know, sniper like Debrinkat as well, they, they seem to be wanting to blow it all up and, you know, rebuild it from, you know, the ground up. There's rumors that they're trying to move Seth Jones' massive contract, which they traded for and signed him to just a year ago. Um and so, yeah, I, I can't imagine them being able to move that contract. And yeah, Chicago's obviously, you know, they're they're, they're tanking for Connor Bedard. Don't forget, they also uh, got rid of Kirby Doc in that deal oh, yeah. with uh, Montreal. They they uh, they're in full on blow up mode. Uh, my friends who are Blackhawks fans are not happy. You've got people leaving the uh, front office. Scotty Bowman has gone there. Uh, you've got just just issue after issue. It seems like in Chicago, you know, letting Strom and uh, they let one of their other forwards as well walk to uh, RFA. Uh, or sorry, UFA status. Uh, Was it Kulak? Uh, Kubalik. K- Kubalik. Kubalik. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and they let both those guys go uh, as well. Chicago to me, they seem like a, a mess. Uh, love the Habs taking Slavkowski. Uh, still surprised that Shane Wright fell as far as he did. I just did not see that coming. Uh, big win for Seattle uh, means we're going to be seeing a lot of Shane Wright uh, over the years. But it was interesting. I saw people comparing that, uh, someone comparing that draft to back in 1990, the the draft where a lot of people thought Mike Ricci was uh, the consensus first overall pick, and he ended up falling to fourth. And the Canucks actually were one of the teams that passed on him when it went Owen Nolan, Peter Nedved, Keith Primo, Mike Ricci, and then Yarmir Yager at, at fifth. But Ricci that year, a lot of people thought was going to be number one, and he fell. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, this it kind of looks like one of those drafts where – those are four players that had very good careers, very different players. But how do you rank them at the end of it? Yeah, like, there's a lot of different metrics. And at the end, it's like, well, you can't really lose. You took the player that you liked, and all four of those players ended up playing and playing a long time and, and being quite good. Uh, so the, I've seen some comparisons to that. Penguins just, I think they're uh, under the uh, MO of we're riding out Crosby Malkin till the end. Let's keep everyone together. Their team is old. They got an old team, but they're going to ride this out for the next half a decade and just see what happens. Ottawa, big winners. The Giroux deal is great. It's nice that they can swing a deal like that, bringing in Debrinkat. They've also got their uh, core forwards and Thomas Shabbat locked up for a long time, like Batherson, Norris, and Kachuk. They're all locked up for a while. So things are happening in Ottawa, and they've got a decent prospect pool as well. So keep an eye on on the Sens. I think they could be a lot better this year than uh, what we've seen the past few years. Um, another team I didn't mention, they're Vegas. I mean, the whole Max Pacioretty trade tree just uh, is kind of laughable now, what they, they've given up. But Vegas, man, just always, and they're still over the cap as well, mind you. And, of course, they do have LTIR space. Now, that's a team that will be using their LTIR space because they've got Shea Weber there. So they're they're going to be someone who is able to go over it, so they still have some room to spend. But every year they're in on players. Uh, they have three players on their roster making over $8.8 million. Like, uh, it's nuts. And those players are Jack Michael Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo. Good players. Petrangelo is 32 and he's got five more years left at 8.8. Mark Stone injuries this year. Jack Eichel injuries uh, this year as well. Mark Stone all of a sudden is 30 and he's got a nine and a half million dollar cap hit for five more years. A great player when he plays. Uh, But geez, Vegas, man, just the constant rotating door, uh, sending guys out. Dodonov finally got a delt out of there as well. But Patch ready for a bag of pucks, essentially. That was that was crazy. Yeah. Oh, and the other one, Brent Burns as well. San Jose was able to offer yeah. Brent Burns' contract to uh, Carolina as well. Oh, we should have mentioned uh, what Carolina did because I think they were, uh, yeah, they are the real winners. I think bringing in Patch ready, uh, bringing in Burns, and also uh, being able to flip out D'Angelo and, and uh, doing that, basically a guy that they had very little investment in. Burns as well, uh, salary retained 
by uh, the Sharks as well. I believe it was 30% or 33%. Uh, so the cap hit is moderate. Uh, Burns, older player as well, 37 uh, But I think... Uh, uh, that's a that's a good fit. They basically get rid of D'Angelo for Burns, and you bring in Max Pacioretty. You've got a lot more character over there, and they still got a little bit of cap space as well to wiggle with. Yeah, I mean, they were a team that I thought you know could have some interest in JT Miller as well. But after adding, you know, a Brent Burns and a Max Pacioretty to the payroll, uh, like you said, they got a bit of cap space available. But you know, if they were to trade for a player like JT Miller, it would be a strict rental. I can't imagine they would have the uh, the cap flexibility to sign him to a long-term contract. But yeah, they're another team. I mean, I know Brent Burns is long in the tooth. Um, and, you know, I've never been a big Pacioretty fan myself, but, you know, he's still a productive player. And, you know, Burns, I think, you know, playing sheltered minutes, I think he could be a really, really solid addition to that Carolina team. Max Pacioretty is also on the all-time cannot killer list, so get him out of the division. I am uh, pretty happy uh, about that. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier Yuho Lamico. He's still unsigned. Uh, Matt Highmore signed by the Blues, along with uh, former Canuck Josh Levo. You're starting to see a lot of these guys with Canucks ties go places like Ashton Sautner signed with the Jets. Uh, Jordy Benz signed with the Leafs. Uh, there's kind of lots of these little bits and pieces floating around out there with, with Canucks history. Even the most recent signing uh, in the league, Michael Delzato, going to Florida. Um, uh, Brad Hunt but, went to uh, Colorado as well. Yeah, I saw that too. So a lot of these guys, uh, kind of the, the shuffle as as it goes. Um, Jonathan Dolan, though, a guy that we've all been tearing our hair out a bit, um, he's still unsigned. Meanwhile, Linus Carlson having a very strong prospects camp with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I mean, I know at the time when the Canucks made that trade, you know, and I it was I a head scratcher. It was, and I was I was pissed off about the trade too. I didn't understand it, um, and yet, you know, Linus Carlson is, I believe, younger than Jonathan Dolan, and he looks to be, you know, more NHL capable. I guess. I mean, I guess Dolan's had you know a decent stint in the NHL, but. I don't know if, you know, it's, I mean, maybe he could be a solid third, fourth line guy, maybe a second unit power play guy on one of the, you know, dwindling teams. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. A team that I could actually see taking a chance on Jonathan Dolan is Calgary. I could see the Calgary Flames going back to the Canucks well and uh, signing him. You know, they need a winger to kind of replace Goudreau. Not by any means am I trying to say that Dolan's going to replace Goudreau, but he is a guy that, theoretically could play in your top six he is an offensive minded player um so that would be interesting uh but i i actually i really like linus carlson and i you know i think you know it'll be interesting to see the kind of year he has in abbotsford this year hopefully he can be productive um but it's actually looking like a pretty solid trade Right now it is, for sure. And we've gone through the emotions with that. It's going to be nice having Linus Carlson over here, uh, likely playing with the Canucks, the Abbey Canucks, sorry, I should say. And uh, But there's flexibility for him to come up throughout the year. I would not be surprised to see Jonathan Dolan sign in Sweden, uh, personally. Uh, speaking of the baby Canucks, uh, Abbey, they, uh, their roster is looking different this year. It's definitely younger. You know, you look, you're going to see guys like, of course, Danila Klimovich is coming back. Um, but then you're, you're going to have some new blood on the team. Neil Zaman uh, is going to be there uh, as well. Uh, Linus Carlson. Uh, there's a lot of younger guys. Arshdeep Baines, uh, another new addition. Uh, they bring back Phil DiGiuseppe as well. So interesting. Uh, good group of forwards uh, there. There's a couple of vets in DiGiuseppe and Stevens and, and Dries and whatever happens with Justin Dowling, wherever he is. Uh, Dakota Joshua, another interesting guy that they brought in. Uh, sounds like could be a sneaky pick. And then on the blue line, uh, Wyatt Kalinuk is uh, the new guy back there, along with Christian Wolanin. Uh, Guillaume Brisebois, who sounds like he may always be there, is around. Philip Johansson <laughs> is going to be uh, around. And uh, goaltending, you know, you mentioned Mikey DiPietro earlier, and I don't think you're wrong about maybe DiPietro starting in the ECHL. By bringing in Colin Delia, he's your veteran AHL goalie now. Arthur Seelofs is being the better of the other guys. So... Do you roll with three goalies and have another year where Di Pietro doesn't play a lot, or do you stick him somewhere? I don't know if they still have the relationship with Kalamazoo, but find him somewhere to play. Um, I think the Abbotsford Canucks getting younger, 
less vet heavy. I know Nick Patan is another guy who's gone uh, as well from that team and uh, and Sheldon Rempel as well. Uh, but the, the roster just looks younger. And this is something else that quietly this regime has been doing is trying to get more of a development feel to it. You're going to have the Sedins being more involved uh, as well over there. Uh, I do like to see this. I like to see some of these young guys coming in. And I'm more excited about seeing the young guys get called up. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, uh, you know, there's a few guys, like, I really want to see how Klimovich takes this, you know, his second year in the AHL looks. Uh, we just talked about Linus Carlson. Um, the Wyatt uh, Kilnuck, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I, I know he uh, he actually played with uh, uh, the new coach in the AHL in the Chicago um in Chicago, so they th- there's familiarity there, and I saw a couple of people thought that that was actually a really good sneaky signing. Uh, he's a left shot defenseman, um, which the Canucks seem to have, you know, they they seem to have that in spades. But he's another guy who seemingly seems like he's a solid, serviceable player that they got for the cheap, and he should hopefully solidify that blue line down in the AHL. And I know we, at least I didn't, maybe you did, Pete. I don't think you did, but, you know, we should try to go out to a game in Abbotsford. Uh, I, I didn't get to go to one this year. I don't know if you did. No. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to try to make it out there for a game this year, um, if possible. And yeah, I mean, I agree. I think this team is getting younger. And I think the one thing that is very important, I, I actually think this is just as important as drafting high-end talent is developing that player and developing that talent into becoming NHL players. And, you know, the track record that Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvine have in Pittsburgh is they are actually very good at developing players and having the Sedins be more of a presence, you know, having a guy like Chris Higgins, who's been working with the team and bringing in a guy like Mike Commissarek and Ryan Johnson and Henrik Henrik Samuelson, you know what I mean? Uh, these are all guys that I think are going to really help uh, this team and this young group of players develop properly and not be rushed to the NHL like we saw the last management group do time and time again. Yeah, it's Michael Samuelson, former Michaels. Canuck Michael Samuelson. Yes. Um, uh, nine entry-level deals, uh, the way Cap Friendly has the roster right now, nine entry-level deals on the Abbotsford Canucks. That is higher than recent years in my opinion uh any other thoughts just uh development camp has been going on i've been really busy i've just been catching highlights when i can a few guys have kind of impressed me a little bit you know i mentioned uh linus carlson he seems to be having a good camp uh archdeep baines uh who else is jumping out at you if anyone uh, or have you had time to really to catch it uh i mean i've just seen some of the like uh, highlights and clips that you know some of the media members have put up there, like Faber and whatnot. Uh, Aiden McDonough has looked good. Uh, another guy who actually uh, apparently has looked good, and you know, I guess it makes sense because he is older. Is a uh, Yoni Yermo. Uh, he's another guy who a lot of people have thought has looked well and looked good. And then uh, Mayenberg, right shot defenseman. He looked like he's looked like he's uh, grown a couple of inches and put on some weight, and he's another guy who, again, is probably a few years away from actually making it to the NHL. But you know, he impressed. Uh, I know Faber mentioned him in one of his little vlogs there, and uh, he's another guy that I think uh, has looked good so far. Also, uh, Lucas Forzel has had a, a pretty strong camp out there, and I know we were singing Klimovich's praises, but a couple of guys doing uh, doing some good things out there. Nice to see with the development camp. Looking forward to Penticton. Uh, no, I haven't haven't been out to the Valley for a game, Doug, but we should do that. Maybe we should do like a Valley edition Canucks speakeasy meetup and try and find a weekend where the Giants and uh, the Canucks are both playing out there and do a little staycation in the Valley. That'd be really cool, man. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be uh, really sick. All right, watch watch this space. Uh, Doug, any final thoughts, or should we take this into the free pour? Uh, I did actually want to ask you one thing about the John Marino trade, because he was a guy oh, that yes. was highly speculated, you know, that the Canucks were into. Obviously, there was Pittsburgh ties with Rutherford and Elvin, and he ended up getting traded to the New Jersey Devils yesterday for Ty Smith and a third-round pick, I believe, or maybe it was a fourth-round pick. Yeah. So the question for you is, I, I actually think that this player is better than Ty Smith, but would you have traded John, uh, Rathbone and a third-round pick for John Marino? Because essentially that's kind of a similar 
a similar um, value of what Marino went for. I, I actually think Rathbone, Jack Rathbone's probably better than Ty Smith. Um, but would you have traded Rathbone and uh, say a third or I don't know if it was a third or fourth round pick for uh, John Marino? Um, that's a tough one uh, because I think if you were to bring in Marino, I think you need more money going out. Uh, so I, you would have had to, I think, in my opinion, get Pittsburgh to take uh, another contract or something else in there. I just don't know if it would have uh, made sense as Rathbone is one of the Canucks better prospects. Marino, hey, Marino is still a young guy. Uh, he's not been in the league that long. Uh, you know, he's 25. Um, I just wonder if Canucks fans have really overvalued him. He's played three years in the league. Uh, former sixth round pick of Edmonton. I think people forget that as well. Um I don't know if I would, and that's, again, probably my homerism for Jack Rathbone, but I think for a deal like that to work, I think Marino's cap hit is, what, like $4.4 million or something. Um, I think you need to move money out to make that deal work. Uh, I'm also not convinced that Marino isn't getting used as a trade chip uh, if Jersey was to go all in on JT Miller, if they really are serious about it. Now they have John Marino, a guy that the Canucks have been interested in, obviously the Pittsburgh ties. Um, I look, I've seen Marino play a bit. He's a good defenseman. I just worry that we might be overvaluing him because of the Canucks desperation on the right side. And Pittsburgh was a team that had right side D. And so we maybe became a little bit laser focused on him. So, for myself, I would probably have had to say no just because I, I'd have needed money to go out in the deal, and I'm a big Jack Rathbone homer. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I think the other guy in Jer- uh, New Jersey that could be actually flipped would be uh, Damon Severson. He's a guy that actually yes. the old regime had liked. He's a right-shot defenseman. I believe he's only a year older than Marino, maybe two years older than Marino. He's a local kid as well. There is speculation, uh, like you said, Marino was drafted originally by the Edmonton Oilers. There was speculation that he was never going to sign with Edmonton and he didn't want to play in Canada, and that's why they ended up trading him to Pittsburgh. Uh, Whether or not there's any validity to that, who knows. Um, But yeah, and you're right. Like I guess the other caveat to that, if that trade was on the table, is the Canucks probably wouldn't have signed Mikheyev then. Yeah, and and Damon Severson, yeah, he's 27. Uh, He's a UFA after this year, currently has a $4.1 million cap hit. So again, like, is that the right fit for Vancouver? I think he's a little bit older of a player that the Canucks would like. I think uh, Marino would still be the more appealing one, even though it's a slightly higher cap hit. Um but yeah, it's um, it's. I think the Canucks are going to continue to have to shop for right D. I think Ethan Bear is one that they should continue to look at. If the Islanders come in with any sort of deal with Noah Dobson, you take it. Um, I, I doubt that they will, though. I mean, uh, but that's just uh, again the Canucks pipe dream here. Um, but yeah, that that was an interesting trade. It was just like, you know all Pittsburgh bringing a couple of wheeling and dealing there, uh, making the Jeff Petrie move as well. Like again. Just Pittsburgh, their team is, they, they got an older team this year. And that, that blue line by, you know, bringing in a couple of guys uh, like Ty Smith, okay, keeps uh, the youth level a little more reasonable. But Jeff Petrie is three years left at, at six and a quarter and uh, is 34 years old. That's uh, He makes more than Chris Letang on that blue line. But they've got four defensemen north of four million right now. And the other ones are Brian Dublin and Marcus Pedersen. Yeah, and I, I think when they initially made the trade, uh there was talk that they're probably going to try to move a defenseman out because they kind of stockpiled with defensemen, but then they go and make the Petrie trade as well. So, I mean, Petrie, he's older. He's a pretty productive guy. Like, you know, he struggled a bit last year, but I think that was just playing in Montreal who were really bad, especially out the gate. Uh, But as the season went on, Petrie became, you know, a much better player for Montreal. And I think he's a guy that can help. Pittsburgh, I am surprised that they would have moved on from Marino, uh, given his age and given what Petrie's age is. But I guess they did get a little bit younger by adding a guy like Ty Smith. Um, But yeah, you know, there's another name off uh, the Canucks right side D list that probably isn't going to be traded after uh, getting moved to New Jersey. 
And Pittsburgh also signed Jan Ruda out of Tampa, who's 31. So, uh, again, old blue line. They, they're looking at a blue line where they're going to have five guys over 30 starting, uh, I think, on opening night. It's uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting team. That's not even getting into the forwards. Crosby's 34, Malkin's 35, Zucker's 30, Brian Rust is 30, Jeff Carter's 37. Uh, older, older team over there in Pittsburgh. Um I, again, I won't rule. I won't rule Jersey out of uh, the, the Canucks trading with Miller phase yet, but uh, I do think that uh, it's it makes things a little more interesting out there. And I, I think the Canucks should be looking at some of these other spots, uh, including uh, uh, L.A. and Carolina. Uh, I think as as potential landing spots myself, and Columbus. Yeah, and Columbus. I think those are three. They, uh, I, I, to be honest, LA and Columbus, they're they're pretty tight with the cap uh, as it is. But um, I, again, if you're moving money out, money in, I think there's ways to make it work. Uh, and you know, I mentioned Sean Dursey. That's a guy that I think would be a good fit for the Canucks, and he's right side. He's RFA. Uh, you could get him, I think, at a reasonable deal. Um, and then, yeah, we've already gone through Columbus, and we both have mentioned Adam Boquist in deals before, who signed for a couple of years on a good deal. And and then Carolina, they uh, they still have some cap flexibility, and they could probably use another piece up front. They've got a pretty solid group as it is, but, geez, imagine JT Miller in, in Carolina. I think that would be a, a good fit for them and some sort of deal to get Ethan Bear plus coming back uh, from them as well. Um, it would be interesting to see. What happens? Hey, Doug, let's uh, let's take this into the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about uh, a documentary I watched on Netflix. Uh, I believe it's like a three or four part little documentary. Uh, it's called Stay Sweet, Pray, Obey. And it's about a polygamist group, uh, Warren Jeffs, uh, in Utah. Uh, they were in Utah for a bit, and then I believe they also had a bit of a, uh, a commune down in Texas. And it's a very fascinating documentary about, you know, the lifestyle of these polygamists uh, that are still active. Um, a lot of them have multiple wives and when I say multiple I'm talking about like 15 to 20 wives um, but it's a really interesting documentary uh, you learn a little bit about you know their belief system and what's very interesting is you actually see a lot of people have left the church and they're speaking out against uh, I wouldn't even call it a church I guess the, the religious group um, and they've left the religious group and they speak out about you know the things that they went to and you know Warren Jeffs you know marrying essentially he you know had final say in who got married to who um and yeah it's a very fascinating documentary uh i do remember uh, a warrant being issued and him warren jeffs ending up on the america's top 10 most wanted in the mid 2000s so if you haven't seen it i definitely recommend checking it out it's called stay sweet pray and obey I watched that one uh, as well. Um, well, I guess it's kind of boring this week because I was going to talk about a docuseries I watched on Netflix. I wanted to talk about the D.B. Cooper one that was just released because I've always been a big fan of this story. Uh, I think they do a pretty good job with putting together what happened, some good animations, good cinematography, uh, kind of really embracing the air travel era of the time of this. Uh, D.B. Cooper, who, of course, kind of a local legend, right? hijacks a plane, jumps out with a parachute uh, over Washington State, Oregon somewhere. Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy watch. I, I do recommend it. I, it's, it's a lot lighter than the one that you're referring to as well. Um, but if you're a fan of that story, if you don't know it at all, it's a great introduction to it. Uh, check it out. Uh, D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? on Netflix. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 118, just about in the, the books. Uh, Doug, any kind of final thoughts on anything out there right now? Uh, I did want to just 
bring up the Brittany Griner situation in Russia, uh, WNBA player who was in Russia. Um, I think it was back in November, December. Uh, she was going through an airport in Russia and had a couple of vape pens that had some cannabis oil in it, and she's been arrested and detained. Um, she has pled guilty, and she's looking up to a sentence of 10 years in a Russian jail. Uh, there's a big movement uh, in the WNBA and, you know, some parts of the NBA. I think more players in the NBA should actually be more vocal about uh, what's going on with her, about trying to get Britney home. Uh, and obviously, you know, it's almost like a political tool. I feel like she's being used as almost like a political hostage, uh, considering, you know, what's going on with the war in Ukraine. Um, I also wonder if she was a straight white basketball player, male, as opposed to a black queer basketball player if the outrage to bring her home would be a lot higher than what it is um so yeah as it's a topic that we hadn't really talked about and i wanted to mention it and you know we're still waiting to see how everything unfolds but yeah i mean i hope Brittany griner finds her way home sooner rather than later it does to me seem obviously very political given the the, the state of the world as that we're in uh, it's something i've been kind of keeping an eye on as well and uh I think there's just a lot of posturing right now, but you know, I, I, I don't know why someone would think it's okay to bring cannabis oil into Russia in the first place. It's not an excuse for any of this by any means. Ten years for something like that is beyond excessively harsh. When this is something that here we can just walk into a store and, and buy. Uh, it's um, it, it, to me, this is obviously with the, the political landscape. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, and uh, I agree. Hopefully. They're able to get her home safely and soon. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Do check out our playlist on Spotify. The Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. This track is getting added onto it as well. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Fenn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. I'll be your lollipop. You can lick me everywhere. Juicy fruit. You're so juicy. Juicy. Juicy fruit.